0: Okay, I hope everybody managed to get something for lunch um, it's a madhouse outside. I went outside too, and uh, I'm sorry we had no control over that. Um, if you're here this afternoon, I think I recognize all of the faces from this morning so you you're here specifically to hear Professor rice camp again this morning he's going to or this afternoon he's going to talk about um, archives Danish archives and I won't give you the long introduction that I gave you this morning because you heard it, but Professor Wrights Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna take this off, it's more comfortable. This lecture today is going to concentrate on the National Archives of Spain and Latin America. And I've already pretty well surveyed where you're from, the countries you're interested, so that uh, I will at least try to say something about once as we go along about every country. Although I have not yet had the privilege of being in Ecuador, so I have not visited the National Archives in Ecuador. I have been in better than a, I think I'm up to eight or nine of the other National Archives that we'll talk about. Often our research concentrates, as you heard this morning, on that little tiny town, the Garganta La of your ancestors, and the records we're going to talk about now, much like our own records, are those that have been accumulated by national governments in their activities and relationships with the people. Now, often we tend to think that that's not going to be related to, to our ancestral experiences, and I suspect that's One of the challenges we have in getting people to come to this kind of a conference in this venue is the fact that they're not expecting there to be anything here that would relate to their ancestors. And the reality is very different from that uh, image or myth that we might have. In reality, there's often very valuable locally oriented records. Probably the most dramatic example of that are the census records. And every national archive will have census records. Uh, There are court records that will reach it back to the, the smallest of localities. There are pension records. There are a wide variety of materials that relate to the daily lives of the individuals in that small place. And those are the kinds of records that we're going to be looking at and talking about as we look at the National Archives. This is the National Archive of Portugal. And what we want to do is get you past the door and into these archives, so to speak, an idea of the kinds of things they have, and most significantly, since most of you are probably not planning a trip next week, are there ways to get at those materials uh, beyond physically going there? Uh, And the answer, as is the case with our own archives here, the answer is yes, in many, many cases. Combining tools from the internet with printed materials, with microfilms or with writing allow us to access these archives very effectively. Archives have three major functions. The first is the storage of records. The second is the preservation of those records. And then the last is providing access to the public. And the National Archives of Spain and Portugal, Italy, Latin America have these same functions just like our own National Archives does here. Archives bring together groups of registers that have been generated by the activities of the institutions, uh, such as a treasury ministry, an ecclesiastical court, or they have been created to register events. So that we're looking at records that relate to a particular level. So in the case of the national government, we need to ask the question, what records do they have that relate to the government? Now, when we look at records for other National Archives, we also need to recognize that sometimes these are records they acquired. Probably the most significant collection in that category are the records in the Spanish National Archives system, particularly in the National Archives in Madrid, where they were not generated by the government. But in 1835, the liberal government shut down significantly and seized the property of most of the convents and monasteries in Spain. They shut down the Inquisition. They shut down the military orders that had been very powerful nobility organizations, owned vast tracts of land. As they shut down these these areas, they seized the properties. The supposed goal was to share it with the millions of the people. The reality was far from that, but we won't get into the history at this point of that particular event. For us, the significant thing is that when they seized the property, they also seized the records. And as a result of that, the best collection of medieval documents coming out of those monasteries, coming out of the Inquisition, coming out of the records of the military orders, are now in the National Archives of Madrid, because when the government seized the property, they seized the records with them. And so all of those records have come in. And some, such as the Inquisition records, are often very local in nature. They get down to individuals who were being appointed to a prestigious position as a familiar, an individual representative in the local town of the Inquisition. And they filed an application for that position, had to show purity of blood for three or four generations, three or four, and they turn into excellent little genealogies at a very local level in towns that often, they're not of the nobility, they're not even of the gentry. Uh, they're upper middle class individuals who are seeking to serve because there's money in it and or because of the prestige. And... And they're fascinating records because sometimes I remember one in a little tiny town called Tuejar, a small town in Valencia, and uh, it related two things of interest about this gentleman. Aside from his genealogy, he had clean roots, and he'd been a, a noble servant of the people in a number of areas in the town and had a good career. But there were two problems that kept coming up as they interviewed witnesses in town. One, he had a couple of cousins, one of whom had murdered the other one back about three generations. And the sense of family in Spain and extended honor was such that everybody kept bringing up this particular problem. The second was, and there was not much they could do, and that really wasn't a problem. People just wanted to talk about it. The second one, however, is he apparently had the habit of making certain nocturnal visits to a widow in town. Um, He was given the position with the Stern warning that the nocturnal visits were to cease. So, again, very local, very intimate, relating to a family that I was researching, not gentry, not nobility, and yet found in the National Archive in Madrid. So, you never can be certain what you're going to find and how it relates in these archives. In addition, as we look at the archives of Spain and Portugal, we're going to find extensive colonial materials materials about mayors. And notaries and other individuals in very small towns throughout Latin America, soldiers who served in the towns. Uh, I could get you the military records for soldiers serving in San Antonio, Texas, or Tucson, Arizona. I've handled collections of both of those. So we're dealing with institutions that, for whatever reason, and you have to know the history of what's gone on, have sent those records of a very local often intimate family relationship to the National Archives. So we we can expect there are those kinds of records, and these are places, not the first line. This is after you've done what you can with the parishes, this is the next line that you look for. Or when the parishes are burned, then we start looking everywhere we can. Uh, And with some good success, I might add. All right, we also need to recognize, just by way of understanding archives, that there are those that are opened and closed. This has nothing to do with the hours they post or when the door is open or closed. This is the concept that are they still admitting new material. This archive here is, is an open archive. There are new admissions not to archive one per se, but they will come into the archives two out in Maryland and be sorted and ultimately assigned to categories. Uh, all of the archives of Europe either are open or closed. In Spain, there are a number of National Archives that are closed, in particular, to mention the Archive of Simancas is only related to material uh, up to about 1800, and with significant collections that were functioning government units in 1800 that are not there, that are one in the National Archive in Madrid. The National Archive in Madrid is now closed for any material that uh, roughly up to the year 1900 acquired by or generated by the government between 1800 and 1900 roughly the archive of the indies in seville cut off at the end of the major colonial period roughly 1821 so no ge- no new records for colonial in fact for the colonies of cuba puerto rico and the philippines that remained colonies until 1898 those records are found not in the Seville archives from 1821 to 1898, but rather in the historical archive in Madrid. So this important concept about an archive being open or closed. Now, if it's open, this is the National Archive in Alcalá de Henares, the Spanish National Archive, which receives material for the 20th century. It is open. Materials flow in like this, in terms of new materials and bundles. and uh, and you know, we could look at what's going on not only in uh, Maryland here at Archives II, but in each of the regional archives in the United States and see a similar kind of process that takes place. Provenance, procedencia is the Spanish word, provenance is a good place to begin. You want to know what was, what were the activities of the provenance, the provenance uh, being the archive, the unit that had generated it, and it helps to understand these. Generally, you can find catalogs, descriptive material even on the internet, that will tell us a little bit about the institution and why the records are in this archive, how they function, what they generated. And that's an important part of understanding each collection. So we're going to talk about where you get materials that describe where, where these records came from. And again, the more we can understand of this, the better we're going to understand what we're looking for and what we're looking at as we find the records. So I'm going to talk about... Guides to the archives and talk about how they will describe the specific sections that there are. Um, And again, okay, just by use of terms, archives sort, first level of sorting, are into bundles, boxes, or books, depending on whether they're bound, put into boxes, or put into books. And in some archives, They will number different collections. They start the bundles, legajos is the Spanish word, with a number, and they'll also start a different collection of libros. And the first time you send one of the archive personnel down to get you the bundles and you really meant books, you're going to find the important distinction because they're going to come back and tell you the importance of the distinction because they've just lugged three heavy bo- bundles of books when what you wanted were three book or three heavy bundles of documents when what you wanted were three very different books than the ones they brought. So watch for that as you're working in archives. but uh, Legajos, Cacas and libros are the Spanish terms for bundles, boxes and books. And every bundle has a description. This particular bundle is, found in the Archivo Histórico Provincial, so it's a provincial archive, in CC, which is Casades, in the section known as protocolos, and it's bundled number 897. And we could go to the year 1754, there were two years in that bundle of notarial records, protocolos, page 6, and we would find a specific will. And that's a common way, you'll have the name of the archive, and it might be A-H-N, which is Archivo Histórico Nacional in Madrid, Section Ordenes Militares. There are their big sections, so you might have a subsection, Santiago, meaning the military order of Santiago. And then you're going to have a bundle number. And then within that bundle, maybe a little file, maybe 500 little application files to be a member, and down to a page number. And it's important that we cite where we get our information so that someone else can follow <laughs> up behind us. This footnoting thing is significant. And it should start. Give us the archive, section. If there's a subsection within that section, the subsection. In the US, we call these record groups. And then a bundle, or a book, or a box number. And if there's a difference, you better label it. You know, Libro 897, or in this case, Legaco. A97. This archive, they didn't distinguish. This is this one's a book and this one is a box. It just depended on how they held together and how big they were as to how they did it. So, and then this gets us down to the specific document. But every reference should do that. All right. The provenance, the, pro, the, the origin of the record is defined by the jurisdiction of the archive. And we talked a little this morning about parish records and that jurisdiction about provincial archives and the extent of those. And that's where the the levels, those local levels, is where the greatest amount of your research will do. Through the years, I've spent most of my time in parish records, in provincial records, and only occasionally out of a two-month trip, maybe two or three days in national archives. That's expanded more recently because I'm finding myself working in the 1500s, where I'm finding more records, and I'm working with families that we've done the parish records for the 19th century, and they're wanting more information. They're wanting the kinds of stories about the nocturnal visit to the widow to add to the family history. And so we're looking for other records that will give us that. And again, often then at the national level, uh, the Royal Chancery Archive in Valladolid has become one of my favorites, because in the last five years, they've begun to index this massive 86 kilometer collection of court records. And they appealed in Spain directly from the municipality to the crown. There were no intermediate levels. So the first level of appeal of somebody who was unhappy with a probate case was unhappy with the local mayor's decision about the way, the argument over the fact that the guy built his house three feet onto the, or one meter onto the neighbor's property and the fight that they're having over where the property line is, and they appeal it. Uh, those kinds of suits, the appeals went directly to this court. And so as they're getting them indexed, uh, we're finding access by the place name to records that often tie in and, and are often old. That is, I mean, old in Spanish terms, not the 1700s or the 1600s, but I'm talking about documents from the 1400s and 1500s when parish records are scant or existent. So valuable possibilities. And the military records, again, uh, this is part of the national system, always separate. Uh, Unlike our own archival system, where we have not merged in most places, except Portugal, uh, the military archive is separate. Uh, Often closed to the public, as as were the ones in Spain during the Franco years, the ones in Mexico until the Fox administration. Haven't been down since they opened it, but the military archive in Mexico is now open. How well democracy gets into the military determines how open those particular... I'm not talking about open and closed in terms of receiving records. I'm talking about whether or not you can get through the doors. Uh, The military archive here, this is in Segovia, and this is a marvelous collection. By the way, including many soldiers who served officers. This is where the officers' materials are. Many who served as officers in the Americas have their records here. Uh, And I've used these collections several times. Segovia? Segovia. Segovia, yeah. There's actually a nine-volume published index for that one, and it's on the list of materials that you have. And uh, if your ancestor was a village, uh, an officer, unfortunately, the records for those who served as troops are not as good. They're basically 20th century. You rarely find much before that. They're housed in a separate archive in Guadalajara in, in Spain. Um, there are actually six different military archives, and nine different national archives within the Spanish system. Um, you may also find that, as you go back in history, the history of the area will define what's in the records. For example, all of these countries of Central America, except Panama, were once part of the Audiencia um, of, of Guatemala. Uh, which was a huge administrative unit for this area and all of those colonial records covering this area are housed in the Archivo General de Centro America in um, Guatemala City. So that's where you would go to find the major colonial records, the equivalent of a national archive for the colonial period here. So the history of the area makes a difference. Anyone not speak Spanish in the room? at least a little bit. Okay, so I'm talking out of Chivo de Centro-America, you're okay at that level. French, I can. Oh, okay, good, good. Well, I, I don't very often, I do occasionally, but not very often ship it to slip the Spanish on one of these. Um, all right, let's talk about where do you get information about the National Archives of Latin America, Spain, and Portugal. This site, which you have a reference to in your list of internet sites, I I send in a 12-page bibliography, internet sites, books, and materials, anything I talk about is in there. And this Mapfre site, you can start with mapfre.com, and you're going to have it. But it helps to have a little more of the site because it's one of those feeling of never-ending sites that you can explore. On this page, under the Fundacion, there is a directory of Ibero-American archives, and It gives you then a country by country description of archives, not just national archives, but archives at all levels throughout Latin America. And once you choose a country such as Argentina, well, you can see national archives, provincial, municipal, parliamentary, church archives, military, university, other archives, associations, directories of archives, all of these different options, and we're not going to explore those today. Our purpose is focused on national archives. So under Argentine National Archives, it takes you to the Archivo General de la Nación, and it shows that they have their own website. And so we could go to that website and have the possibility then of exploring the documentation, colonial period to 1810, national period after 1810, as well as the description of donated materials. Often family collections of important people will end up in these archives. Uh, Another source of potential local material, your ancestor worked for one of those families. You may find interesting materials about that ancestor appearing in those donated family collections uh, of of a local, these are of a local nature. And each of these is hot. You can click on and explore the site. And we, we won't spend a lot of time on any single site. Some countries do not yet have a, the National Archives does not yet have a website. The one in Guatemala is an example of that. I was in Guatemala three years ago for a national conference. Actually, I was in Costa Rica for a national conference. I had never visited this archive, and because of its prime uh, importance in doing Central American colonial records, I went up there to see what they had. Marvelous collection of materials. Most of the colonial notarial records are in that collection for all of Central America. So something that you'd want to look at. Remember, notarial records are testaments, marriage contracts, debt inventories, all the land sale contracts. These are all gathered there. So you would want to to look at that. When I was there three years ago, I spoke with the archivist at length. She was so ecstatic, they had received their first PC two weeks before. So we're talking about within, and a similar situation in Bolivia, when I was there two years ago, they were moving forward, but uh, they they did not yet have their website up. On the other hand, I would suggest to you that one of the best websites in the world, most user friendly, best collection of archival materials and a wonderful archive, is the one in Mexico City. Uh, so Latin America has the full gamut of what's there. When you don't yet have a website, they take you to a, the uh, LANIC, L-A-N-I-C Foundation website, which is hosted in the, uh, the University of Texas, Austin, and they will have there a general type description of what's in the archive based on materials that were published or otherwise available about that particular archive. So, every national archive in Latin America is described and you get some information. And then this can be the starting place. The archive in Guatemala has a marvelous index, document by document, to every one of the notarial records for the colonial period. But it's, you remember the library catalogs, file cabinets, you know, the old w- wood file cabinets? Well, that's exactly what these are, drawers up and down the whole length of the hall and it's there but it's there and no more so we're becoming spoiled we want it out there and available to us on the online but at least that starting place to know it is there now uh, a second the different place to go that you can get similar access is the UNESCO archives portal and it likewise will take you to websites they normally repeat each other, uh, but being aware that you find, may find an archive that connected with this and not with the other, uh, being aware of UNESCO is helpful. All right, let's look at what I consider to be one of the best, if not the best, National Archives site. I hope I don't have somebody here that's with the National Archives here to suggest this is better than, but uh, the Mexican site is equal to in terms of what it will do and the quality of the archive. The archive itself is spectacular. They took an old prison, and it was one of those ones that was designed with the spokes radiating, the guard tower in the middle so they could watch everybody, the latest in prison designs at the end of the 19th century. Uh, When it was no longer used as a prison, they made the decision to convert it to an archive storage space. And they built a marvelous rotunda where the prison spokes came in, and it entitled the administration office through that rotunda to each of the areas. The cell blocks have been opened up, and they're the storage area. They've adjusted what they can for the humidity, and it's, it's absolutely charming. It's a wonderful place to work. The personnel are marvelous, and in my opinion, and I, as I said, I have been in National Archives, and it is not as grand as our building here, but it's every bit as impressive, and it's the best I've been in. And that bars none possibly except Portugal, uh, which is a very small country in comparison with Spain or Mexico or the United States. Um, And so, wonderful place to work. Uh, There is one minor problem. It's in Mexico City. Now, why is that a problem? That's accessibility. There may be some issues there about riding the metro, whether or not you're safe. And Mexico City is the only city in the world that during rush hour has segregated cars for women that they say something too, but those facts aside, the other problem about being in Mexico City, as is the case with many other places in Mexico City, it's sinking. And it was on ground level when they first put all the books in there, and now they, you have to walk down five steps to get to it. The entire archive is gradually going down, but um, that's just one of the facts of life that you deal with in Mexico City. Uh, sort of like being in New Orleans, where you're below sea level. So, anyway, the site's marvelous. Um, look at there's a lot to explore that we're not going to. What's circled over there are instrumentos de consulta, the access materials. And when you get here, you have several publications. We're particularly interested in the ARGENA, which stands for Archivo General Nacional, or de la Nación, rather. And this is the computerized index to the National Archives collection. And it allows you to go into each of the collections, basically colonial, 19th century, and 20th century, and index records in there. And it's available online. There's also descriptive material. Before we get there, we can go up and read about the archive, and we'll talk about some that are actually done in English. They have published their materials in English as well. The index is not, but if you're going to use an index, you're going to use the records. You have to be able to handle the Spanish. So this is a description of the different fondos, the different, um, it's not come on. Different sections of documents and the series that are the collections and series that they have. And colonial period is the vice gov- viceroy's government. And under that, you have different sections. Uh, this is the section about uh, the mayors, there's a section on censuses. There are actually 116 of them. Out of those 116, 112 have been completely indexed. Uh, the ones they haven't are the padrones, the censuses, and some ones that we'd love to have, uh, some of the treasury tax lists. They are indexed down to the place level, though. So this morning's comments about searching for a place as well as a surname is significant. All right, we have choice between Argena 2, which is the colonial period, and that which covers the 19th and 20th century. To give you an idea of the volume, we are looking at... 370,000 different records for the colonial period and another 327,000 for the national period that have already been indexed. Now, when you go online to the index, it gives you a list of all 116 colonial sections. The only criticism I have is at the very end of that list, the very bottom is one that says... Grupos documentales. So it isn't until you get to the end of the list that you realize you can search all the documents at once and don't have to go section by section. So depending on your needs and what your, how much you find, I normally search all of them because I'd like to see whatever there is. And uh, type in a name, Vicente Ortega. I happen to have been working on Vicente and know that he, there were two, actually father-son, Uh, serving in the military in colonial Chihuahua uh, in the northwestern part of Spain um, in the late 1700s. And so it's always interesting, anywhere I go, Vicente is one of the people I, I use to check out. And when we do that, we find that there are a total of 37 documents approaching this index that relate to Vicente Ortega and you can then go down the list, and there's the register number for each document, and when you click on a register number, you get a description. In this case, this particular document is a diary, which was written by Vicente Ortega, who was a lieutenant, first lieutenant, in the second company of the expedition into Nueva Vizcaya in the uh, month of October, 1773. He mentioned several places. And it names those places in Chihuahua province. Again, we're talking about local information about a man who left descendants, who died in the area, um, was part of this colonial period, but in the military. So he appeared. And this is a month's worth of writing and diaries and comments by this particular man. And we could go on down that. what well, that's what you do. You look at them one by one. Uh, here's another one. And the problem with the index is that when you type in Vicente Ortega, it finds all the Vicentes and all the Ortegas that appear, whether it's Vicente Ortega or, or it's uh, Vicente Rodriguez and Antonio Ortega. And you have to deal with that, but, hey, considering how much this is searching, we're grateful even for that kind of limitation. Uh, this one related to a crime. Uh, they had ransacked some house, a house, and they were accused, and they were being tried. And in this case, it was actually Vicente Reyes and Pedro Ortega, but it was Chihuahua. Again, a place search. I did Janos and came up with 1,200. Janos is a small town, but it was also a presidio, a fort. searched there and found wonderful materials about Janos. I'm still digesting some of those. Um, And uh, this one dealt with a widow and... uh, a lawsuit involving, on her behalf, that was filed against the colonel in some of the activities. So you're getting a feeling for the variety and the local specificity of these materials. Um, Because, again, many things were reported upon from the local activities directly to the viceroy. Appeals of cases went to the viceroy. So much was handled in all of these areas that the National Archives for their colonial records will have them. Or if they were not an audiencia, then they'll be someplace like Guatemala City for Central America, Peru for the early period colonial area for Northern Argentina, Bolivia. Um, You need again the history to fit this together, but they're there. Once you find this reference, you have two possibilities. One, you can order the document. Mexico City is very good at responding. And they managed to make the postal system work in and out of the National Archives, which is more than I can say about some of the local experiences that I've had. But uh, I've had great success in having them. I think that's the fact they send them certified. You pay for that, and believe me, you want to certify anything that goes in and out of the Mexican postal system. Um, But you can order the documents. They're wonderful. Uh, The cost is is very good um, in terms of a per page cost compared with some other places that where you'll end up paying forty euro cents for a document sometimes in Spain. Um, or your other alternative is yes. Um well, I hope I'm going it, uh, can can you go down like in person oh yes can you go down in person? Yes. Now when you get to Mexico City you want to go in and identify yourself as doing a historical study about a particular family and a place. And you want to use the buzzwords? Some of the ones you've heard today, of la historia de la comunidad, estoy tratando de ver el significado de la familia dentro de la historia de esta comunidad, de ver el impacto social económico. talk the language, the buzzwords of a historian. Because if you're a genealogist, they're going to give you a pass to get into the microfilmed records section, which is excellent but you want to handle the real things. And uh, you can get there. Uh, I, I, you know, Besides the fact I'm a, uh, a historian, I have sent students in who were going in as genealogists and, and other uh, adult members of the community going down there and had great success. They're wonderful. We've had a change with the Fox administration and the personnel, and I don't know them as well. I have not been down there since uh, Fox took over, but everywhere else I hear about... It's been excellent in terms of the changes um, in the administration, so I would assume and it was wonderful before it's just the people I used to know and I could tell you who to talk to are gone now um, but uh, your other alternative is to find it on microfilm and many of the collections from these National Archives have been microfilmed here on the page homepage is a contact us and you can find the email addresses for uh, various sections in the Me- Mexican National Archives and you can write them send them an email in fact write them And indicate that you're coming down and if they have any suggestions or directions I've written on more than one occasion to a National Archive and asked about the hotels to stay in I'm currently staying in the Hotel Harrington down the street because I asked that question at this archive The Hotel Harrington is a nice and expensive hotel. We'll put it that way and we're happy uh, It's not the Ritz, but uh, and they'll give you those kinds of suggestions let them know you're wanting something reasonable priced if that's the case. Because otherwise, you're a rich American, and they're going to put you up in a five-star hotel. But those kind of things. Write them about your questions. Can I order a copy? You know, uh, How many pages? This seems to be 50 pages. What would it cost to copy this? And you know, what's going to be the postal check? You can write all these kinds of questions. They're very responsive to those kinds of inquiries. And again, the Mexican archive is state of the art in terms of electronic contact. Do they sell the film? or do You may also, there? it is possible, to, depending on the film, and the, to buy the actual film instead of photocopies. And sometimes you pay to, photo, to, to microfilm. I often microfilm records in Spain. And then they send me, the, you know, the National Archives in Spain, Mexico, the big countries have their own microfilming department. And they will do it for you and send it to you. Or they'll photocopy. I, I'm not, I, I've never worked in one that didn't have photocopy facilities. i worked in a lot of archives that didn't, but not at the national level. Guatemala had a photocopy machine. I mean, I can remember the days that we're talking 20 years ago when they had to the kind of move like this. And you had to th- try to, to handle an old document like that. But uh, again, we're state of the art, and they're responsive. I think that's an important thing to realize, just as the people here answer. Um, And some of the same little tricks apply, ordering military records from the military archive. You want to specify if you want the entire file or they'll do what they do upstairs here and that sends you the part that has been identified as genealogical in interest and not give you the entire file. And you have to ask for and pay for the entire file and frankly you often find the best material uh, beyond the mere genealogical data, the family history material, the whys the of what's going on are buried in those correspondence documents that otherwise they don't send you. So The same kinds of things was what we see here. Again, there's also on that same first homepage a general guide, Marvel's published book that's now available online, and uh, what's great about it, it didn't appear as it should have, is that it's available in an English version and it describes all of the collections down to uh, each one of the series collections in English so that you can know know, if English is your native language you're most comfortable with, that's a good place to start uh, in terms of understanding what's going on. talks about photocopying, all the services they offer, and a good description in English. that's one way to get into the Mexican National Archive. There is a second one if you're interested in the area of northern Mexico, and that is a collection known as the uh, Documentary Relations of the Southwest, program coming out of the University of Arizona, excuse me, uh, Yeah. no, University of Arizona in Tucson. What is, where, where, where is northern Mexico? Durango, Mexico, draw a line through Durango, Mexico, roughly north to Durango, Colorado, plus up the California coast. All of the northern New Spain frontier, including the southwestern U.S., and all the way down roughly to Durango, um, all the way over, including the Nuevo León, Santander, Nuevo Santander region. If you wanted to buy the English version of the York, how would you buy it, you know, is it, like, in a bookstore? You could try it in the bookstore if you wanted it. It's online, okay. but if you wanted it in English, you should be able to get it in a bookstore. I can't remember. I think the copy I have is in Spanish, but uh, you, they, they do have a bookstore, and that's an option. I, I've done it on site. I've never tried to do it by mail. Okay, so then I would... I would go on. I would start with something like uh, Amazon.com, um, and when you go on, you can get the ISBN for it, and once you've got that, you can explored the normal channels for buying books, and uh, you, I was assuming you could find it. It's been about 10 years since they published it, so I'm assuming it's still out there. But all the information is online, okay. so that you could download that if you prefer it into right, a CD. Was, I was trying to differentiate yeah. when you could get it, a it, copy. It, It's both. They exist. Whether I haven't bought one recently. Uh, this site, what they did was they've identified document collections, in particular the provincial, the provincias internas, which was the 18th century, or the, excuse me, the 19th century, no, yeah, the 18th century, 1700s uh, government, mostly military, for that northern part of New Spain. And they've gone through and indexed those off of microfilm um, in a different index sometimes a little more detailed than that of the uh, National Archive there and they have copies of everything in Tucson plus they'll identify other places that there's a microfilm copy. So you can do a search in the uh, master database and again these sites are referred to in your materials, Um, and you can search for a name and in this case I searched, as I recall, for Vicente Ortega. I found 70 references to Vicente. Uh, This particular one was a service record of lieutenants. And there he is, Ortega Vicente Teniente. And this was his service record, written up in 1787, describing places that he had served. And so I was able to order that. And it tells me this was indexed off of a film in the uh, Arizona... University of Arizona film collection. Uh, There's an original. Oh, this one didn't come from the National Archives. It came from Santa Fe uh, New Mexico Archives, and there's also one at the University of New Mexico Zimmerman Library. So it gives you some other alternatives on where to find these films. Um, This is one that came from uh, the AGN. In this case, this one uh, did identify a Jose or, or Ortega Antonio and a Vicente Rodriguez. Um, same problem when you type in Vicente Ortega, and again tells you the location they copied it from. The original is in the Provincia de So we do have again. That's the reason we're looking at this, but it indexes a lot of other materials as well. It's marvelous. If you're working in this area, essential place to go if you're in northern Mexico during the colonial period, especially because this is a frontier area where a lot of records were lost. I could could tell you horror stories that I won't because I don't want to discourage you because while I've had some real hard times, I've put together the lives of people. I have one man by the name of Jesus Garcia, and I have managed to construct his life. You have a Jesus Garcia too, huh? I've managed to construct Jesus' life from knowing nothing about him except that he was a grandparent on the line to having a complete story of his life, everything, including parents' names, everything but where he was born. I got him back to about age four, and uh, he comes into the area in what is now the San Buenaventura-Hanos area in Chihuahua at age four as part of the resettlement population. but I've traced him as a judge I found him in his early years when he was serving in the Spanish military before 1821 and gradually from all kinds of little bits and pieces I put together the life of this man much of it using these kinds of sources and indexes because the local records are gone although I had a pleasant surprise I'm down in a different record collection, which is the not part of our lecture, the Durango uh, Archdiocesan collection is microfilmed but not available except in uh, University of New Mexico, New Mexico State University in Las Cruces. And I'm in there and I'm searching for these guys and everything about Hano, same kind of a place search on the index as well as name searches. And one day the man walks in and says, I hear you're looking at San Buenaventura. And he's, I said, Yeah. And he says, have you seen the the baptismal records for 1776 to 1803? And I said, they don't exist. And he says, oh, yes, they do. And I said, where? And he said, in El Paso, Texas, in the Catholic diocesan archive. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, my, and I'm envisioning the next morning I'm heading to El Paso. And he says, would you like to have a typed transcript of the entire book? (laughs) <laughs> I begin to think I'd reached heaven I mean this is, this is the kind of stories and so he did, he gave it to me so uh, we found a little more although Jesus Garcia was not there which eliminated that as his place of birth which was helpful but not as nice as if he'd been born there so uh, anyway you never know what you're going to find but that is, that's not our National Archives story but that's the kind of thing we research as we look for people and places uh, again there's some good description about this the website is marvelous um, and if all else fails, type Documentary Relations of the Southwest in Google, and it will take you straight to this website, because the website just one of those impossibly large ones. It has something to do with Arizona State University's museum. Uh, oh, This is the index online to the description, I'm sorry, these are out of order, of uh, what's the, the books on in English about the Mexican National Archives. So as you can see, it describes each of the collections and you can actually search there among it for terms in the book itself. All right, let's shift now across the ocean and look at Spain. See how we're doing time-wise. We're running out of time. Let's quickly look at, just to give you an idea, about the marvelous site Archivos Españoles in Rey. Uh, you have to sign up, uh, log in as a user, and remember the password and hope that it works. And once you get past all of these kinds of problems, it's worth the effort keep trying. Uh, it's a government setup. The goal is to ultimately index all of the national archives of Spain. And these are the ones they got at least partly done. Um, the general administration, which is 20th century. Corona de Aragon, which is the Barcelona-Catalan region, Aragon-Catalan region. Uh, the Chancellery Archive in Valladolid, I've talked about the 86 kilometers of court records there. The Archive of Nobility, that section is now in Toledo, not in Madrid, much of, of their materials. The Archive of the Indies, including all of the passenger list indexes, are now on that. The National Archive in Madrid, which includes extensive material about Cuba and Puerto Rico, Philippines during the 20th century, as well as a lot of other... Materials back into the Middle Ages and heavily, of course, for the period 1800 to 1900. A separate archive for the Spanish Civil War and the original archive for Spain, the Crown of Castile, created in 1540 at Simancas, which covers those early records of the crown all the way up, beginning back at least to the Catholic kings. I personally handled dozens of records that related to Ferdinand and Isabel and their functions, and that one goes up through about 1800. All of those are gradually putting all of the available indexes published and computerized into the system. Uh, they're adding to it daily, if well, probably weekly to monthly, but they're adding to it significantly. So you always want to keep going back and rechecking. Uh, remember to do your place searches. Many of these records are best located by going in by place name rather than individuals. So look for those small towns. Um, once you're in there, you do a search This against the kind of thing you get. You click on a particular entry and you get the, this one is a lawsuit by Pedro Palomeque against, I was searching the surname Palomeque, um, against the uh, town of Cantalpino. Actually, maybe I was searching Cantalpino because that's the town I work in. I don't remember what the search was now, but uh, notice 1497 and 1496. These are coming out of the court records of Valladolid, um, and these are out of Seville, and you can click on them and get them a further description. Um, I've already talked about the—now, this is marvelous and we could say much more, but what about the situation like that of Guatemala where the best you get are handwritten or card indexes? Many of these records are also available from the LDS Church. They have bought or microfilmed extensively in national archive collections all over Spain and Latin America. Um, well, I'm going backwards. I'm sorry. And for example, marriage information records are found in the, for the colonial period, covering all of Central America. I know. I'm watching it. Thank you. Go back to the lecture you've been listening to. <laughs> That's why. Oh, okay. Uh, Notarial records for that early time period for all over Latin America. The index is down in those card file drawers, but the original records have been microfilmed. This is how you get into the family search site. I assume most of you are familiar with that. You do a place name search. This is part of the 2,000 records that appeared when I typed in... um, Archivo General de la Nación in Mexico City. There are 2,000 different entries, some of them 500 to 1,000 film collections of materials out of those national archives. Uh, Wonderful materials that are available. Um, This is a a similar page, and because I'm out of time, uh, this again related to Mexico still. You get down to the detailed description. Um, that we don't have time to look at, the Mexican National Archives, significant portions of it are available on microfilm. And by using the indexes online, combining that with the microfilm that's available, you can look at the records and never have to go to Mexico or write. So that, uh, and I wouldn't recommend it, it's always more fun to go to Mexico. Down to censuses and a variety of materials. I know Diane. I'm pushing it. Uh, we've talked about likewise major collections for not the court records, but some of the other nobility type records for both Granada and Valladolid. The royal chancery records, um, the military order records, and others from the National Archive uh, are available. And again, these are major collections with uh, 500 to 1,500 rolls of film. Um, And there's a lot of other materials we haven't touched. Let's just indicate, for example, we haven't talked about a lot of specific other archives, and here's a marvelous archive in Venezuela, the National Archive there, that we haven't looked at. Every Latin American country has one, and the treasures are there. You've looked at the best for accessibility, but the records are there, often microfilmed, already in this country, and more and more they're working to get the indexes they need. Thank you. We've had a run through the archives. Yeah, you <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us about the, uh, the availability of the archives in, uh, in Cuba. The National Archives in Cuba. I've not been there. Uh, have marvelous collections. Uh, there are there are good descriptions, pre-Castro descriptions, and others that are coming out. They are crying for help. They would, you can, if you can get there. You'll find the service is good, the technology is primitive, as you would expect, um, and they're very interested. I've actually, we've had some exploratory talk about microfilming. There are people in Florida who are working on that. Um, The problem are the political restrictions. My university said no to my request to go in there because of the legality issues. The LDS Church, (coughs) for the same reason, has not gone in and there was a university in Florida that was very interested, was actually negotiating when they began to try to collect funds. Uh, some of the exile groups in Florida picked up on it and, you know, and fought in terms of, and the minute that starts happening, the money dries up. So it's there, and you could get there, you go in on education and cultural. I mean, I could go. I have colleagues who have gone. Um, but. And it's something I'd like to do, but I've, I've been involved with our Immigrant Ancestors Project since that time and have not had the resources, time more than money, to go around the, going legally, but you know, indirectly through Canada or Mexico. So it's not that they're not there. Uh, there's an awful lot of Cuba. If you're working on Cuba, do you have Peter Carr's book, A Guide to Cuban Genealogy? Okay, that's the starting point. Um, and there's, you know, we're hopeful that the records survive just the preservation issues the Castro administration and things will open up then um, thank you thank you kay.